This is Fearless Beauties, a podcast dedicated to elevating voices of color in the beauty industry. We're talking to estheticians, skincare specialists, and business owners to uncover best skincare practices, tactical career tips, and ultimately, how we can create a better beauty industry together. I'm your host, Mary Nielsen. This week on Fearless Beauties, we're starting a brand new set of episodes all about treating different skin types. That's right. So for the next few episodes, we're going to be doing a deep dive into the different chapters of the Fearless Beauties book, starting with how to treat Asian skin. Let's get started. All right. So Mary, what is the number one misconception that estheticians face when treating Asian skin? I think the number one misconception is that Asian skin is more resilient than it really is. I think the misconception comes from believing that Asian skin is very similar to white skin. In the Asian culture, the use of topical melanin suppressants to lighten the skin is really, really common. So the esthetician who doesn't do a solid consultation is going to make the assumption that the Asian client is about a Fitzpatrick 2, when Asian skin is always a Fitzpatrick 4 or higher. And the Fitzpatrick scale is a scale that was developed by a doctor from Harvard University that actually rates skin according to its ability to tan after UV exposure. Wow, Mary, that is really eye-opening. I can already tell that this is going to be an info-packed episode, but I think it's time to introduce our expert. Well, absolutely. We sat down with Beatrice Van, the clinical coordinator for Fearless Beauties. So with Asian skin, you know, myself being Asian and um, growing up, not really being able to learn a lot about it. And then as I became an esthetician and going into treating Asian skin types without having some of that knowledge, I had to really do a lot of research. And, you know, we do suffer as, you know, a lot of darker skin types, PIH, which is post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. That is one of the commonalities of our um, skin conditions, as well as acne and also atopic dermatitis, which can be, um, you know, a big concern in a sense of us having our pH being disrupted, um, which can lead to barrier function issues that can lead to atopic dermatitis. So those are um, some common, as well as melasma and hyperpigmentation that kind of sits with the PIH in our um, conditions of what we battle with on a daily basis. Okay, Mary. So for listeners who may not be familiar with inflammatory hyperpigmentation, can you describe what it means and can you do the same for atopic dermatitis? Sure. Post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, sometimes abbreviated PIH, is a darkening of the skin due to any kind of injury to the tissue. The skin is actually trying to protect itself from the injury. It's producing more melanin to protect the cell from damage like an insect bite or a pimple, it will leave a brown or sometimes even a purplish looking mark that can take weeks or even months to fade. And atopic dermatitis is a skin inflammation that's chronic or it means it's ongoing where it comes and goes. The skin is red and itchy and inflamed. And that's usually due to a break in the barrier function of the skin allergens or irritants get through the acid mental and it causes a lot of tool or transepidermal water loss. 
Yes, and as an African-American woman, I have a ton of PIH, like too much. So I've been working on getting rid of my dark spots for so long, but I think it's all about patience. So what are the main characteristics of Asian skin that Beatrice did not mention? I know she mentioned PIH and melasma, but what about acne? Well, acne is another commonality in Asian skin. They have the largest follicles, and that can make them prone to oiliness. And then this sometimes leads to an overuse of exfoliating products in an effort to reduce the oiliness and shine. Then sometimes the skin will respond by rebounding and producing even more oil. Their skin also has a tendency towards retention keratinization or an overabundance of keratinized skin cells that will get stuck or they get sticky in the follicles and that causes clogged pores. It causes a buildup of dead skin cells, sebum, bacteria, and just day-to-day pollution. And then that buildup creates an inflammation and that leads to acne breakouts. And about 90% of Asians are lactose intolerant, so that ingestion of dairy can lead to skin-related issues. So what I gathered is that it's all about balance. Finding products that do not cause your skin to produce even more oil and use products that help keep your skin at a healthy glow because I know that your skin needs oil. But Mary, what are the ways that B suggested treating these skin conditions? Well, let's find out. With atopic dermatitis, um, it is just you get irritation through um, using really high concentrated fragrant ingredient concentrated products. So really making sure that if you do have compromised skin, which means sensitive skin or having a flare up where a lot of Asians do um, have a common condition, which is eczema. When you do have a flare up, you do want to avoid those um, high concentrated ingredients as well as um, just really fragrant ingredients you want to stay away from. So just keeping the skin nourished and balanced and hydrated as we do also have transepidermal water loss. So a lot of times because we do have larger eccrine glands, so we produce more oil. So a lot of times we do is finding that balance of oily skin and not oily skin. And so we use a lot of oil stripping products that can lead to barrier function. So really making sure that um, you are nourishing the skin with well-balanced ingredients that won't clog the pores, but also being able to minimize that oil production so it doesn't lead to other conditions such as acne. And then as we get acne, it leads to PIH. So it's always a sickling cycle for us. So when we talk about atopic dermatitis, as I mentioned, just um, keeping the skin balanced and nourished, avoiding really high AHAs and BHAs. A lot of times when we're looking at um, different acids, really reminding our clients also to avoid those ingredients at home. Um, You know, one of the products that is really common out there it's an Asian brand that's um, sold in Sephora and Nordstrom's. And one of the um, ingredients has a high concentrating of glycolic acid. And so I had some friends who contacted me who was starting to use a product and they're like, I don't know why my skin is so dry and irritated. Like my sister's using it, my cousins are using it, but for some reason this um, product is causing dry blotchy spots. So she sent me um, her product, the p- picture of the product, and I looked at the listing and um, it had high concentration 
concentration of glycolic, lactic. So that's the thing that, you know, looking at some skin cares that always look at um, those ingredients because glycolic acid actually does have the smallest molecular level, meaning that it can penetrate deeper and it's going to be stronger. So people who have compromised skin, that is something that um, they wouldn't want to use right off the bat that you'd want to what I call is leveling up. I am learning so much from B, and I love how she reiterated balance. So how to keep your skin nourished and balanced with the ingredients that you use for your skin. So if you're in doubt, just ask. So Mary, what are the key things that Estes need to cover in their consultations with Asian clients? I think the consultation needs to have a focus on diet and lifestyle and home care. Absolutely, Taylor. What do you think? I know that some K-beauty regimens have 10 steps or more. Well, I agree with you, Mary. I think it's important to really get an understanding of your client's lifestyle. Also, ask them what products they're currently using. And if they aren't the best products, educate them on what they should use and why. So what ingredients to look out for and their effects. Now, they may not understand all the SD terms, but for me, who is not an esthetician, I can understand pretty clearly why certain products are not recommended for my skin. Now, for an SD, introduce products to your Asian clients to try and tell them how it will benefit their skin and make sure they know about those products that are a no-no. So for instance, glycolic acid is an ingredient that some Asian clients should avoid. Are there other ingredients that should be avoided, Mary? Well, glycolic acid is a form of alpha hydroxy acid, and it's the smallest molecule in the family of acid ingredients. And because it's so small, it can travel much deeper into the skin. So for skin that gets easily irritated and has its pH disrupted, an acid that does deeper damage isn't healthy. So other harsh or aggressive ingredients like long chain peptides, they should be used with careful consideration. I mean, everyone loves peptides, but peptides are chains of amino acids, and those amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. Those proteins build collagen and elastin. So the longer the chain, the greater the risk of irritation to the skin. Peptides typically are named um, for the number of amino acids in the chain. So if something is, oh, this has a tripeptide in it, it has three amino acids, or a hexapeptide has six amino acids. So a hexapeptide is going to be more irritating and aggressive than a tripeptide. And sometimes people like thinking that if it's got more, that makes it better. But that isn't necessarily true with Asian skin. I'd also want to start my client very slowly on skincare. If they have an issue or get irritated, how will you know what product is the problem? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Putting them on a skincare routine with so many different ingredients without properly understanding the complexity of their skin, that may cause some damage. So on the other hand, what ingredients have you seen work really well with Asian skin types? I know that Asian skincare often includes the use of snail mucin. That's the slime that comes out of snails. And it's believed that, you know, snails will travel great distances over any kind of ground. They even can glide over glass. And the next day, those tiny cuts and injuries from the glass are healed up. So the slime is thought to have a lot of healing properties and a lot of Asian skincare, including 
K-beauty or Korean skincare has some kind of foundation around that snail mucin. Wow. See, I would have never thought that that would be a common ingredient for Asian skin. So I have definitely learned something today. As we move forward, let's talk about leveling up. What is that? Well, B walked us through her leveling up process. When I am looking at um, leveling up, it goes with all conditions, whether I'm treating melasma, hyperpigmentation, acne, post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, or even just maintenance facials of people just wanting to repair their barrier function. I usually go with a very progressive approach, not aggressive. I like to do a very thorough consultation I usually don't do first-time treatments. Um, I like to get to know my clients first, give them a treatment plan, let them go home and digest the information prior to um, starting so they know what they're getting themselves into and um, knowing their commitment level is very important, whether it's within the treatment room or also outside for their home care regimen as well. So I always tell my clients 80% of what you do to get your results is what you do. And only 20% of those results will come from me. So it, um, it takes a lot of consistency and commitment. So when I am looking at my leveling up, I will start with a customized signature facial where I'll do some light exfoliation maybe an enzyme, steam, some massage, um, really hydrating and nourishing treatments in their facials. So just get to know their skin a little bit more um, where I can actually really look at their skin under the magnifying lamp, seeing how their skin just reacts to a light exfoliation before um, going into a hydrofacial or a microdermabrasion or chemical peel. So that would usually be my first treatment. Then the second treatment, if everything goes well, then I will um, level them up to a dermaplaning to remove that stratum corneum and then just seeing how their skin responds to that and then maybe um, implementing a very light enzyme like um, bromelain or papain, so pineapple or papaya. And then as we continue on, um, I will um, go into chemical peels. I wouldn't go straight, as I mentioned earlier, I wouldn't go straight to a glycolic acid. As I mentioned, that molecular level is very small. So I would start with a lactic acid or a cocktail type of peel that has a little bit of everything to um, just introduce their skin to help a cell turnover. And then from there, I will kind of just um, see how their skin responds and depending their specific concern, if it's acne, if it's hyperpigmentation, then I will um, look at different treatments where I'll look at nanoing, nanofacials or microneedling or even up to using laser treatments if I need to um, go a little bit deeper to target the acne or the hyperpigmentation. I always incorporate gua sha massage. I always incorporate high frequency Um, And I always incorporate LED light therapy as I feel like every skin can benefit from those light energy modalities to help heal their skin um, a little bit faster. Well, Taylor, what are your thoughts on Bee's approach? Well, I, for one, love how careful and professional Bee is. So she takes this really seriously. I know you have discussed a few times On our podcast, the importance of taking a progressive rather than an aggressive approach. And I believe that B did a great job explaining what that looks like. So I think so many people want to achieve their skincare goals quickly and effectively and don't fully grasp how serious it is to let your skin heal itself and to let things happen organically. 
slow and steady wins the race, right? So I also love how she mentioned that her first visit with her clients is strictly the consultation. Like we have mentioned so many times before, and Esty is a skin therapist. So how committed are you to this skincare journey? Here is what me being your Esty looks like. Can you handle this? Can you ride this wave with me and do your part? So that type of conversation is important to have with your clients. I'm sure there are those eager clients who just really want to get treatments done and expect their SD to do it all. But like B said, it's 80-20. So Mary, why is leveling up so important for all SDs to remember when treating not only Asian skin, but all skin of color? Well, I think all skin of color shares some really similar skin issues like the PIH, higher tool, oil production, and acne. Yeah, I know that B talked about pineapple and papaya. So why does that work well for Asian skin? Well, pineapple and papaya, plant-based enzymes, they digest the top layer of dead skin cells during exfoliation. The molecules are really large. It can't penetrate too deeply and cause that problem of transepidermal water loss. Of course, if your client's allergic to pineapple or papaya, you wouldn't use these ingredients. Of course, yes. <laughs> Beatrice also mentioned LED light therapy. So what benefits does that have and why can it be used universally for every skin type? Oh, LED light therapy is just a wonderful add-on. That light is delivered very, very slowly, but it also can travel deeply into the tissue. You know, we're going to go back to eighth grade cellular anatomy here. But mitochondria are the organelles in cells that produce energy for all of the cell to function. So LED, this kind of light therapy, actually works to stimulate the mitochondria in the cells to produce more energy. So for example, using a wavelength in the 600 nanometer range, that's a red light, that's going to stimulate the skin to heal more quickly. Yeah, I definitely remember some of those terms in science class for sure. So I really appreciate the level of studying and understanding that goes into treating skin. It's really complex and it's specific. So some information pertains to all skin, but there is also so much that I could not even grasp that goes into learning about all skin of color. And it just makes me value more and more each day what SDs do. Well, Mary, speaking of all skin, and since this is the Fearless Beauties podcast, I feel like we need to finish off by discussing inclusivity. Did Beatrice have anything to say about the future of the beauty industry? Well, B actually was really just asked to be on Dermascope's board in 2021. Um, and this is a new board that they're creating on inclusivity. So she's going to have a big role to play to create a more inclusive industry from the content that Estes are reading. And this is what she had to say. Just being able to be an Asian woman in this industry to be able to vocalize my concerns or um, give just feedback and be able to help them create more inclusivity because they are a pretty big platform where a lot of estheticians um, read their magazines and see them on social media. So being um, able to be a part to bring more inclusivity to this industry and being able to be a part of that is just going to be really great. So I'm very unfortunate and very honored to be able to be on their advisory board for 2021. 
definitely a, a big role to fill. And so I hope that I will um, give them the information that they will need and be able to influence them and influence this industry to become more inclusive. I think that you know, in the last couple of years, as we've been traveling through Fearless Beauties to the conferences, I feel like we did move the needle a little bit, but there's still so much more work that needs to be done. And I hope that being an esthetician for over 18 years and an educator for over 10 now, I feel like, you know, it's, it's time for us to continue to bring that inclusivity and to just wake this industry up a little bit more to see that. Taylor, why is this such an important step for the beauty industry? Well, I believe it's not only an important step for the beauty industry, but for the world. So I truly believe that Fearless Beauties is not only impacting the beauty industry, but our message and mission overlaps into real life situations in regards to social and racial injustice and just putting black and brown men and women on the map. So that's what I try to portray on our social media. We don't just talk about treating skin, but healing humanity and really digging into the need for change. But as we continue to impact the beauty industry, like B said, providing that inclusive information will slowly wake up the industry because more work will always need to be done. Mary, what else do you believe estheticians can do to support more inclusivity? You know, I think estheticians need to always be doing that personal work to be supportive of inclusivity, and they can take just personal steps to build more inclusivity. Of course, getting more educated, but make sure their own marketing has representation of all ethnicities, genders, and cultures, and then speak up and talk to their skincare vendors and suppliers to demand that these big corporations support inclusivity in decision-making areas. They need to reevaluate their positions to bring a stronger, louder voice. And they need to spend their money with companies that support their values. Encourage dialogue in the workplace and speak up if they witness some kind of lack of inclusivity. Taylor, I know you can add something to this. Well, I just love how you say it's someone's personal responsibility to bring about more inclusivity in this industry. So I think it's easier to say, oh, this organization should do this, this, and this. But what can we do? What can you do? How can we contribute to equality and diversity in our small circles? I think what we can do is, for one, highlight entrepreneurs of color on our social media, support their businesses, and then finally collaborate with them when possible. I think those are great tips. Well, Taylor, what are your key takeaways from today's episode? I think we reinforced the unique characteristics of Asian skin and offered some good skincare tips for treatment approaches. Yeah, well, B's leveling process really resonated with me. But I would say that my key takeaway would be the importance of a healthy consultation. So getting to know your client's skincare goals, make sure both the SD and client are on the same page with results and understanding how much work goes into achieving the results desired. So what general tips do you have for at-home skincare routines for Asian clients? Well, I think the biggest thing is avoiding harsh ingredients, always using sunscreen, and staying consistent. Yes, remember your sunscreen, people. But most importantly, you can't expect the results you desire without really putting the work in. 
Consistency is key. Thank you for listening to Fearless Beauties, a show dedicated to elevating voices of color in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Mary Nielsen. And I'm your other host, Taylor Phillip. Until next time, keep educating yourself. Remember to stay open and be fearless in the pursuit of creating a better, more inclusive world. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Special thanks to my co-host, Taylor, and our producers at Quill Inc.